on this episode of The James Quandall Show. Some of the best career opportunities are not positions that are posted, but problems that you solve. And then that thing becomes your job. And that was true for me. They needed a speaker for an event in 2010. And I raised my hand and said, I'll do it. And they said, can you speak? I said, I think so. I'd never spoken in my life. Christy Wright is a number one national best-selling author, personal development expert, and host of The Christy Wright Show. She's been featured on Today's Show and Fox News and in Entrepreneur and Women's Day magazines. Since 2009, Christy has served at Ramsey Solutions, where she teaches on personal development, business, and faith. Her latest book, Take Back Your Time, The Guilt-Free Guide to Life Balance, is available everywhere books are sold. Now, I loved that in your new book, how when you started, you kind of faked it until you made it. You know, you'd go on stage, you'd be like, I am so excited to be here, folks. And versus like, oh, guys, I am so nervous. Like, please be easy on me. Don't judge me too harshly. This was my first time on stage. And like, how did you learn that? No, to me, it's so funny. It's like, I'm, I guess, pretty logical. And so for me, the common sense piece of that is if I go on, and I don't know that I totally thought all this through consciously, but I guess the intuition was, if I go on stage and act nervous, then it makes those feelings bigger, right? Like, it's like, so if I act nervous, and if I verbalize that I'm nervous, then it just becomes more nerves, more focusing on the nerves, feeling the nerves, living the nerves. Whereas if I act excited, focus on being excited, project being excited, then I will feel more excited. And, and research shows this. It's so interesting. I didn't know this research at the time, 12 years ago when I got, got started. But um, you can act the way you want to feel and the feelings actually follow. Sometimes we think, well, I can't act a certain way until I feel that way first. So I have to feel confident to act confident. But the opposite is actually true. You can act confident and then your feelings catch up with that. And so it's so cool. And this can work on whether you're walking on stage and you're nervous or if something simple like this is a more real life example. But let's say this has happened before where I come home from work and I've just had a bad day. You know, it's one of those days where you've had some tough conversations or you didn't get what you wanted or just frustrating. And you pull in the driveway and you're just down and grouchy and grumpy and not in the mood. Well, I don't want to walk in the house like that because my family doesn't deserve that. They didn't do anything wrong. They're excited to see mom. So literally, I will in my mind go, I'm going to act happy. I'm going to act happy to be home, even though I'm really yeah. just in a bad mood from this day. Yeah. It's still wearing on me. So I walk in the door. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm so excited. How was your day? And I act happy. And I'm not kidding you. Within a few minutes, I feel happy. It's like your feelings catch up to your actions. So this works in work stuff or home stuff. And I think it's just a simple mind trick to um, act the way you want to feel and the feelings follow. It can be, it can have power. Just while you're talking, it reminded me of, you know, confidence. You generally have your shoulders pulled back, your chest up and your head up and you're smiling and you do that. And like, I felt an immediate sense of relief just by pulling my shoulders back. It's so easy. Have you heard of Amy Cuddy, her TED talk on this? No. Okay. So she's, she's fascinating. And I don't know if she's a um, psychologist, sociologist, I'm not sure what her actual like field of expertise is, but she's done some incredible research on power positions. So for example, when we feel powerful, or let's translate that word with confident, you know, either way you want to say it, when we feel confident and proud and powerful, to your point, we put our shoulders back, our head up, our chest out, we actually expand. People can't see me, but I'm putting my arms out. We expand, we take up more space. So think of, um, an Olympian that crosses the finish line and they get the gold, they throw their arms in the air 
right? Because they're proud. They feel powerful. You know what's fascinating? Even blind athletes really? do that. They've never seen someone do that. They didn't learn that. They It's a response to the hormones and what our hormones are doing in our body. So when we feel powerful and confident and in control, our testosterone, which is kind of that confidence hormone, goes up. And our cortisol, which is our stress hormone or fear hormone, goes down when we feel powerful. So you cross the finish line, you nail a big client, you have a great day at work, you, something you big. You pump your fist in the air, right? <laughs> yeah, fist pump, you get bigger, your testosterone is rising, your cortisol is lowering because it's reacting to what you're feeling in that moment. But here's what's really cool that she, that she tested and researched and studied and experimented with. You can actually change not only your feelings, but you can change your hormone levels by changing your posture first. So let's say you're going into a big interview for a job and you're really nervous. She says, instead of sitting hunched over and curled up, you know, think of like dogs that are scared. They tuck their tail, they bow their head. Like this is a response. Yeah. And you come home and you see your dog doing that and you immediately know, okay, they, they were up to something. I just got to find it. (laughs) What'd you do wrong? That's right. That's right. So when we're, when we feel powerless and scared, we get small, our posture is small, tuck our, our shoulders, our head. So when we feel powerful, we get big, we expand and our hormone levels match this. Okay. But let's say you're the, you're feeling scared. You can actually stand, and this is Amy Cuddy's work. This is not my work. I want to give credit there. You can stand in what she calls a power position. So you stand up, you put your hands on your hips, you put your shoulders back and your head up for two minutes, as an example, and you stand in this powerful position. The response after the fact, they measured people's hormone levels. And before taking this power position, those people had high cortisol, low testosterone. After the power position, they had flipped it high testosterone, low cortisol. You can literally change your hormone levels. The other thing was also true where they had a group of participants before a big interview sit in low power positions. So curl up, tuck your head and be pitiful from a body posture. And they had done the opposite result with their hormones. They had made their cortisol go off the roof and their testosterone lowered before. So it's just fascinating the research behind this of not only acting the way you want to feel, but you can literally change your body posture to trick your brain to change your hormones, which then affects how you feel. You walk in that interview more confident because you stood in a more powerful, larger position beforehand. It's really incredible research how much control we have over our mind. And then the person doing the the interview, I've done thousands of interviews from my time in the corporate world. And if someone would come in kind of slouching in, hands in their pockets, and then they kind of fall into the chair and then they have their arms crossed and they're like, I'm really nervous, then they're, they, they lost it. Like they, they're not going to get that confidence back anymore after they say that. A hundred percent. And you know, what's so fascinating, James, when I um, interviewed for a position, this was in 2006, I guess it was. So this was my first real job out of college. Okay. Other than this small stint at a, at a local newspaper, which was a disaster and lasted two months. I was applying for a position. I was 22 years old. I was a baby right out of college. I was applying for a position at a brand new YMCA. It was a new construction and I would be leading an entire department, not just leading it, but doing everything to build it from buying equipment, buying chemicals, creating programs, hiring the staff, training the staff, everything. And I had exactly zero experience doing that. Okay. So I go into this interview and um, went through the interview process and I'm interviewing against people that were my senior by 10, 15, 20 years. I got the job 
And that launched my career onto this incredible path so much further ahead than my classmates, right? Because I went for this bigger job. But I found out after I got the job that I had interviewed against a woman that had been an aquatic director, the position I was playing for, for 12 years and even been an associate exec, a position above that. And I went to my supervisor and I said, why did I get this job? I had no idea I applied against this other woman at the time. Why did you pick me? And she said, your confidence. You believed you could do it. And did you actually believe you could do it? How did you How did you get to that place? Yes, I did believe I could do it. I did. I just, I've always been like, well, I don't know, I'll figure it out. It's, but it, to your point in the interview process, I just sold her on the fact that I could do it. So I beat out someone 12 years more experienced in that field than me. And she said she didn't hesitate. She didn't miss a beat. Your confidence. You made me believe you could do it. So I do. So have you, uh, being a confident person, have you had have people ever call you arrogant? And like, because for me, my confidence has always sort of been on the line. Like I, it can be almost an arrogance sometimes. I think some people can confuse confidence with arrogance when they are insecure. You're never accused of that. by That's a people. great point. You're right. Yeah, I'd never thought about that. The only people that are threatened by it are those that are insecure. If you're confident, you actually appreciate Yeah, because I was always self-conscious else. when someone said, like, oh, man, what am I doing? Am I bragging too much? Or like, am I trying to win? Here's what I get more than arrogant. I don't really get arrogant, hardly ever. But here's what I do get often, intimidating. Oh. Oh, it's so intimidating. Oh, it's so inti- I was told by guys all during my 20s that I was so intimidating. And I was like, I don't know. That feels like your problem, not mine. Like it was like, it's not even like, I don't have this, like, I don't really have this competitive nature of like, I have to be first, but I'm going to try really hard. And I think what's interesting, I, I had this aha moment the other day. I actually don't think I am exceptionally confident. I think I am exceptionally courageous. I think I'm just willing to risk. I'm willing to try. I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to be embarrassed. I'm willing to fall on my face. I'm willing for it not to work. But because I'm so courageous to put myself out there or say the hard thing or stand up for myself or go for that job, I'm just courageous. That comes across as confidence. It's like, oh, well, you got some nerve to say that thing or you got some nerve to go for that job. It's like, yeah, it's really just courage. It's not like I go into that job. I'm like, I'm totally going to get it. I don't think that my posture is not. I'm definitely I've got this in the bag. I never think that. Yeah, that turns people off even worse, I would say. Yes, I don't that that type of confidence like a certainty it's going to work out. I don't have that of like, I'm definitely going to win. That's not it at all. But I'm definitely willing to try. I'm willing to have the courage to try for something. I am curious if the newspaper disaster you talked about, was what happened there? So I applied for a position that was presented as an advertising coordinator working with multiple departments in advertising. And since that was my degree, I thought that'd be a great first job to get exposure to media buying, to design, to you know research, all that. It was actually data entry, which anyone that knows me, I'm a creative person. I'm not a detailed person. And I died a little inside every day. So it was not what they presented, which is one part. That was part one. Part two was the culture was a disaster. It was like gray walls, gray ceilings, gray carpet, gray humans. Like it was like the the culture was just like suffocating. No one enjoyed their job. It was just a J-O-B collect a paycheck. And again, I'm a passionate person. I want to do work that matters. But to make matters worse, this um, data entry that I did was in a computer from approximately 1987. (laughs) And the software had not been updated since then. So I would enter all this data, all these numbers in an Excel spreadsheet that would just crash in the middle and it hadn't saved any of it. And I'd have to start over. Like it was actually, I think maybe a form of torture. (laughs) Oh no! It was just not a good company, not a good culture, not a good fit from a position standpoint. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not doing this. So how does someone that's 
listening and then goes, well, that's, you're describing my job right now, and it's a, not a good fit for me. What should they do? I mean, wh- how do they be brave and courageous and, and go find something different? I think you, I think you need to, I don't want people to have, you know, I help people start businesses all the time. And I don't want you to have this Jerry Maguire moment where you grab the goldfish and go, who's with me. And you just run out the door. That's not a good plan. You need a steady paycheck. You need a transition plan, but I do think you should start looking. Um, Ken Coleman's one of my good friends and he loves helping people figure out what their, their dream career is, what their next um, move is. But I'll tell you one thing that worked for me. And this is something I believe in as a very simple principle. Don't look for a specific position. Look for a company that you love. Look for a company that you believe in the work that they do. Look for a company that has an outstanding culture, amazing leadership, good values. Because here's why. If you get your foot in the door at an outstanding company that you believe in and they honor and value good people, even if you start out in a position you don't love, they will make a space for you. They will have a career path for you, a, a upward path, that type of thing. And but, but the opposite is also true. If you find your dream position at a company that sucks, that's toxic with bad leadership, with a bad culture, it doesn't matter if your day-to-day are the activities and tasks you enjoy. The culture and the leadership and the values are so suffocating, it will make you hate it. So I just encourage people, if you're looking for something new, look for the company first. Research companies that are producing work you care about. They're helping the, the, the market of people that you care about, the results that you care about. They have great values. They have great balance. They have great um, team camaraderie and unity. When you find that, then see what do they have that might be a fit for you where you could get your foot in the door. Um, my, I, I'm, an, I'm an example of that here. You know, When I was leaving the newspaper, I looked for companies I believed, and that's what led me to the why. And I was like, oh, now, my dream out of college was not aquatics, but I taught lifeguard lessons all through high school and college. So I was qualified. And I was like, well, I'll do this and get my foot in the door and see what you know where I can move from there. Um, similar transition when I came here to work for Ramsey Solutions, I found a company I believed in, started out in project management. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought you were always uh, you know, in the limelight. No, 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 no. I started out doing... I was the youth project coordinator for all of our kids' piggy banks and books and Bible studies. Oh, how nice. I, I was a program manager at the Y, essentially, over aquatic programs. And so I became a project manager here. And Cheryl Sandberg says in her book, Lean In, some of the best career opportunities are not positions that are posted, but problems that you solve. And then that thing becomes your job. And that was true for me. They needed a speaker for an event in 2010. And I raised my hand and said, I'll do it. And they said, can you speak? I said, I think so. I'd never spoken in my life. Never spoken in my life, James. But again, I was just courageous. I was like, I'll try. And that thing has become my job. And how scary was that first speech that you were like, I'll I'll give this a try. Well, you know, what did you have to lose? Like you would just go back to doing the job you were doing before. A hundred percent. And here's the thing. I think that people, especially women and research shows this, we tend to wait until we know exactly how to do something before we say yes, but there's absolutely no growth in that because it's not challenging you if you just say yes to things you already know how to do. The, the lesson here, and this is this has served me so well in my life, say yes before you know how. I said yes to being a speaker before I knew how to be a speaker. You know how I figured out how to be a speaker? By speaking. <laughs> Say yes before you know how. It's in doing the thing that you learn how to do the thing. So say yes and go do the thing. And then you'll look up and go, oh, I learned how to do it. I didn't know I could do that. Well, you didn't know because you'd never done it. 
you discovered in doing it. If you wait until your resume is perfect, you have all the experience, all the qualifications, someone gives you permission, a permission slip, a piece of paper that says you're allowed to go pursue opportunities in this field, you're going to be decades behind everybody else. I think we're describing your next book right here because this is, (laughs) it's it's the, (laughs) I'll send you the transcript. No, it's this, it's this courageous confidence maybe that just it's, you believe in yourself and you also believe that what's the worst that can happen. Here's the worst that can happen. I was talking about wanting to have a podcast for years and years and years. And like you described, I was researching and researching how to do it and listening to shows. And do you know when I finally actually learned the most? Just recording one episode. One episode, I learned more than two years. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And what was the risk? No, like five people are listening to that episode anyway at the time. Like what is, what's the really the risk? And you cannot get better by just learning more, you get better by doing it. I I could take all the classes on public speaking in the world, which by the way, I've never taken one. (laughs) I get better by doing, by, by delivering a joke and it's crickets and no one laughs. That'll freaking teach you, James. You're like, okay, note to self. Don't tell that joke again. Or note to self. I'm not as funny as I thought I was. (laughs) Right. Or I need to try something else to be funny. Yeah. But it's interesting because let's go back to what you said, because you said something really important. And I just had this light bulb moment. So I'm real, I'm courageous. I think that's what allows me to say yes to these opportunities before I know how it's the courage. But there is an inner confidence that allows me to be courageous. And here's what I mean by that. Not confidence is going to work out. Not confidence I'm, I'm an awesome speaker. Not confidence that I'm so funny. That's not where the confidence is. But I am a person of faith. And so I'm confident in my identity and who I am and who I am in God. And this is specific to me as a person of faith that I know that I can go walk on that stage and fail and my value doesn't depend on it. I can go speak up in that meeting and get my hand slapped and my value doesn't depend on it because my identity is secure in who I am apart from my accomplishments or my rejections. So that gives me this freedom to be more courageous, to walk on the stage, to speak up because I can walk out of a potential failure. And I've had many, by the way, and it doesn't rattle my identity. So Yes, I'm confident in my identity and who I am in God. And I think that gives me freedom to be courageous, to try some stuff and even be courageous that might lead to failure. It does not, it does not sway my value. I've discovered whether I'm playing tennis or enjoying a day full of competitive chess, that caffeine and sugar highs just don't last. You instead need something that won't spike your blood sugar and cause a crash. I avoid most pre and post-workout products because they're full of added sugar natural flavors, and other ingredients I don't approve of, and they end up making me feel worse than if I hadn't taken them at all. That's why this podcast is brought to you by UCAN. UCAN's products are made differently. Their patented superstarch ingredient has the outstanding ability to provide a steady release of energy without spiking blood sugar levels. Controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Try UCAN's delicious chocolate peanut butter energy bar, Cookies and cream, energy, and protein powder with 19 grams of protein per serving, or grab the ready-on-the-go Edge Pouch. These products will give you the long-lasting benefits of Superstarch to balance your blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy for your workout and your day. Because you're a listener of this podcast, you'll get 20% off your entire order by going to youcan.co slash jamesq. That's youcan.co slash jamesq. Give Youcan a try today.
God uses failure in in some of the best ways sometimes. It may yes. feel like failure to us, but five years later, we go, thank God that that newspaper job didn't work out. I was devastated at the time, but look at what I found now, right? And, as a, and as a content creator, I'm like, hey, if you get a good story out of it, it's worth it all day. That's <laughs> like, true. I've had so many weird, terrible things happen. I'm like, gosh, but that's going to be a great story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. What what does your prayer look like before you'll go and do like a speaking gig like that to help pull yourself out of yourself and into the people or or your mission? I feel like this is a pretty simple way to, to describe my theology around this, but I really believe in the sovereignty of God. I know that we have a choice and we need to be good stewards and we're responsible, but I really believe that God is sovereign. So for example, when I'm standing off stage, and this is true story, what I have prayers I have prayed. When I'm standing off stage and let's say I'm about to go speak at an event that is new to me it's a new audience or a new talk, or it's a bigger audience than I've ever spoken to before. And I'm feeling that fear creep up because if I, if I go speak to a crowd, I know I'm not really nervous because I've done it before. So I've got experience and proof there, but any Joyce Meyer says new levels, new devils. Anytime you're outside your comfort zone, you're doing something new that fear creeps up again, because you've never done it before. And that's normal. It's a normal, normal thing to experience. But let's say I'm standing off stage. I remember specifically years ago, I was standing off stage at Catalyst. And I was going to speak at Catalyst and it was 12,000 people. And this was, um, I don't know, three to 4,000 larger than any audience I've ever spoken to. At that point, you're just like, it's big, but it still felt intimidating. It was a new event I'd never been at. And I was standing off stage and I was feeling really scared. And then I just prayed this. I said, God, you put me here. I didn't put myself here. You put me here. And so I can trust that you want to do something here. So let me and my fears get out of your way. And you do what you want to do because there are people in this audience that need to hear from you. And there's something you want to say to them and you're going to use me to do it. So I'm not going to let my fears, my insecurities, my imposter syndrome, the size of the crowd cloud my judgment about why I'm here. I'm here not for me. I'm here because you put me here because there's something you want to do. So let me get out of the way for you to do what you want. You can take a deep breath in and go, I didn't elbow my way to the top to get here. This opportunity was placed in my lap because God wants to do something so I can rest that he will do it. I love um, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. It is such a, a verse of confidence and peace and peace and trust. This is the verse in the very front of my first book, Business Boutique. And it says this, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The subject of that sentence is he. He called you. He will be the one to pull it off. The weight of the world is not on your shoulders. He called you and he will be the one to do it. How much easier is life when, you know, you just you just move your feet and and follow the what's put on your heart and he'll help you get it done. That's and, exactly right. And be there. And so the topic of your book, and I had a whole bunch of notes to talk about time management and productivity and priorities and all that. But I am curious, uh, did you just go through seminary? I'm in it now. Okay. So I just, I'm, <laughs> and I'm in the very beginning stages of it. <laughs> so you're in seminary. You just did this book. You have a busy job as is. You've got a family. You have hobbies. It sounds from reading your book, you have a very good friend life. And I would like to talk about friends too, if we have the time. But how on earth, do, like, how do you get all that done? It's unbelievable. <laughs> That's the million dollar question, isn't it? So my first book, Business Boutique, came out in 2017, but I've been a business coach for over a decade. And what's so fascinating, James, is in over a decade of doing this, the number one question that I have been asked is not a business question. <laughs> it's that question. 
How do you balance it all? How do you balance everything? How do you balance having a full-time job and a side gig? How do you balance having a family, having a job, having hobbies, having friends, working out all the things? And what's so interesting is, and I've really paid attention to when people talk about this, how they talk about it. We have a lot of feelings around this word balance. A lot of them are not good. And I think the reason is that one of the feelings that we associate with that word is guilt. We feel guilty. We feel like balance is impossible. Balance is a 50-50 split between work and home. And that's not possible. Balance is doing everything all the time. And that's not possible. So when we fall short, because we will inevitably fall short in any of those definitions of balance, which are completely unrealistic and impossible, then we feel like a failure. We feel guilty. We're not sure what balance is. We're just sure we don't have it. We don't know what we're supposed to do with our time, but we're just sure we're doing the wrong thing. And so the thing that I wanted to do with this book, my new book, Take Back Your Time, is I wanted to reclaim this word and redefine this word and show you what true balance is and how that version of balance actually is possible. Because we've got all the analogies, juggling balls, spinning plates, walking the tight ropes. Have you ever seen those people? That sounds stressful. Yeah, it just watching like them, just watching them feels uncomfortable. You don't it's, I don't really want to be doing that. <laughs> I don't want to live my life that way. That yeah. sounds like a circus. And so I started asking a different question. What if balance isn't so much something you do, how you balance it all perfectly all the time, juggle all the balls and not let any of them drop? What if balance is something you create in your life where you feel a sense of balance, even if you're busy, where you feel a sense of balance, you become balanced in an out of balance world where balance actually looks more like peace, Hmm. being confident in your choices when you say yes to this thing or no to that thing, being proud of how you spend your time finally, actually enjoying your life. I think that's what we're really after when we say we want balance. And it turns out the path to that is not productivity. It's not wake up earlier, pour more coffee, have a better morning routine, use better time management apps, be more efficient, be more productive, multitask and stay up later. We're just exhausted. We've tried that and it doesn't work. So I created a new version of balance. I redefined balance in this book. And that's why I love the tagline of the book, the guilt-free guide to life balance. So the thesis of the whole book that everything points to is this. Life balance is not doing everything for an equal amount of time. It's about doing the right things at the right time. When you do the right things at the right time, you actually feel that sense of balance that you've been looking for. And here's the great news. You get to decide what's right for you at any given moment. So in your example, James, this summer, it was a lighter season at work. And so I I was able to prioritize more things. Maybe five or six things made the cut. Whereas in a busy season, maybe only three make the cut. So in the summer, I was taking Fridays off. I was getting my work done, hanging out with my kids. I was working out, seeing my friends, and my house is pretty clean. That was this summer. (laughs) This fall is different, okay? It's very different. Three things make the cut. I'm launching a book. My work is A1 this fall. In a very practical way, that is dominating my calendar because my top priority is launching this book. Number two, my kids and my husband spending time with my family is always going to make the cut, maybe in different capacities. And then number three, I'm in seminary. That's incredibly time consuming. I am not working out. I am not seeing my friends and my house is not as clean as I want it to be right now in this season. Yeah. The seasons. That's the, that's the premise of this is understanding that it's just for a time. It's not forever. 
Yes. And what we do is what's so interesting is even if we do the right things at the right time, we often focus on the things we're not doing. So when we're at work, we think about our family. When we're at home, we're worried about work. When we're knocking out 25 things on the to-do list, we're beating ourselves up for the five we didn't get to. We're always focused on where we're not. So, so in a, in before I learned this, taught this, lived this, I might walk through my house and step over toys and beat myself up and go, you're failing. You're failing. You need to clean up. You didn't work out today. You haven't responded to your friend's text messages in a week. You're a bad friend. That narrative would beat me up and wear me down. Now, when I understand, and this is, this is true, it's proven, it works, it has helped thousands of people. When I understand that balance comes from doing the right things at the right time, it not only gives me permission to focus on those things, to make progress in those things, to be proud of those things, it helps me shake the guilt for all the things that are not right, right now. So now I can walk through my house and step over toys in the floor. And instead of beating myself like up, up, I go, girl, that's not right right now. You're reading 300 pages a week in seminary on the book of Revelation. That's You're what I was going to say. Those days, it brings yeah. <laughs> your focus back to what is right right now. So for all the things you see me doing, there's lots of things you don't see that I'm not doing. I'm intentionally choosing to not make the cut, to not prioritize in this season so that I can focus on what is right right now. It's an incredibly freeing message where when you read this book, it's not something that goes, oh, this is another time management book about how to be more productive and how to get through my to-do list. It's not that. It's actually a message that sets you free to focus on what actually matters to you. That is what will lead to that sense of balance we're talking about. Did you have any suggestions for clearing the clutter from your mind and your day long enough to like get a a little bit higher view of your life to actually write those priorities down? Because that seems to be some of the the difficult part. You're treading water as is maybe. Yes. So here's one of the um, practices that I do. And this is the way that I break break your priorities down in the book is three specific timeframes. You can do it in whatever works for you, but this is a good guideline. I say you need priorities for your season. So there's a seasonality to life. Mine kind of falls in three seasons, spring, summer, and fall. My summer is very different than my fall and spring from a work and from a kid's school calendar's perspective. So at the beginning of a season, I will sit down. My husband and I did this in um, January and in May. We might go to the coffee, go to a coffee shop. Yes, get childcare or during nap or during whenever you can carve out the time to get help. Go away, sit at a coffee shop. And we say, what do we want this season to look like? What is important to you this season? What is important to me this season? And you write out your priorities for the season. Your priorities... Uh, for a season are more specific and current and relevant than these priorities you have in your mind as like a, a theoretical priorities for life. God, other self. That's nice, but that's not practical for real lifetime management. I want to know what's a priority for this spring. One of mine was getting my kids to swim. That's very tactical. It's very current, relevant, and specific to the season of the year and the season of their ages and what was important to us. Well, that then affected my calendar because I signed them up for swim lessons. So, um, For each season, we do that. Then even within that, it's good to check in each week. So my husband and I do this Sunday night. I will make the calendar. It's a wet erase calendar. I love that. I showed that to my wife when I was reading the book. I said, we need to get one of these because it's so, it's like, and it's so easy to like make a plan for the month. 
and then something comes up that you weren't expecting and then you're like, oh no, I just right. lost this entire month now, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. It's just a simple practice. Sunday night, we get the kids down and I will sit there and fill in. It's wet erase so your little kids don't don't dry, you know, dry erase, they'll just wipe it off. Wet erase markers <laughs> and you fill it out and I will say to Matt every Sunday night, what have you got going on this week? He's like, oh, I've got a dinner Thursday night. I'll be late. I'm traveling um, Tuesday morning. And I just jot it in. And then I jot in who's taken who where, who's got soccer practice, who's got a, like this week, we've got parent-teacher conference. My kid's out of school today and tomorrow. We re, we just plan our week and say, what are the priorities for this week that we must get done? That's each Sunday night. But then there's another practice. And this is something that um, I don't always do it perfectly, to be honest, but it does help me when I do. I try to wake up 10 to 15 minutes before my kids do. Now, if you have little, little, little kids that are unpredictable, that may not work for you. Mine are more consistent now. So I know when they wake up, I will set my alarm for 15 minutes before them. Here's what that does, especially for women that are listening right now. Motherhood can be so consuming in great ways and in, I think, dangerous ways that when I wake up before my children, I wake up as me, not as mom. I wake up and remember that I'm a person outside of my kids. That's an important thing to remember because I'm, I'm, I'm pouring a cup of coffee. I get to drink it while it's hot, which is a real gift these days and just plan my day. Like we're talking about before I get yelled out about Mickey mouse and milk and sippy cups and all the things. Okay. So I will wake up 15 minutes before my kids. I'll pour a cup of coffee and I'll just say, what do I want this day to look like? I'll spend a few minutes checking with myself. I might journal a couple lines like, Hey, I'm really discouraged today. Or man, I feel really great today. Or oh, you just, I don't know, consider yourself before you pile the work on. Check in with yourself. Say, how am I doing? On Maybe on Sunday night, I planned that I was going to have a really busy, productive Thursday and get a bunch of stuff done. But Thursday comes around and I'm discouraged and sad and tired. I'm like, you know what? That's not right right now. I need to change my plan for the day and do what's right right now. I need to give myself some rest, take the pressure off, cut down my to-do list and so on. So I just check in with myself. I write down what I'm proud of from the day before. This is such an important practice. I talk about this in the book. But we spend our whole lives focusing on what we have not done. So we live in this perpetual state of feeling like not enough. Whereas you're all the time doing things that are successful, things you can be proud of, things that you uh, are right for you. And if we never stop to acknowledge it, then we always feel like we're failing. So I will literally write down, what are some things I'm proud of from yesterday? I cooked dinner. I took my kids to the playground. I slept in and got some extra rest. I had coffee with a friend. It could be anything, very simple things. doesn't have to be something big and impressive, but you just write down, hey, it reminds you that you're doing better than you think you are. And it reminds you that you're spending your time on some things that are right mm -hmm. before you create the to-do list for the day for all the things yet to be done. So in the morning, I will spend, this practice takes literally two to three minutes of my 15 minutes. It takes two to three minutes where I write a couple sentences of how am I doing? I write down what I'm proud of from yesterday. And I also write down what I'm grateful for. I write down, how am I going to take care of myself today? All these things are very intentional because by the way, self-care is not a spa day or a golf day on your birthday once a year. Self-care should be seen like brushing your teeth, something you do every day to give yourself what you need to be the person you want to be. So again, it might be, I had a quiet time. I did 15 minutes of yoga. I took a walk around the block. I read a good book, anything. This is how I'm taking care of myself. I do all of those things, which takes about a minute. Check in with myself, write down what I'm proud of from yesterday, write down what I'm grateful for and write down what, how I'm taking care of myself today. I do all of that before I set my to-do list for the day. Wow. I do all of that before I pile on more pressure. And I think our problem is we, all we do is wake up and pile on the pressure 
No wonder we feel like we're exhausted. No wonder we feel like we're failing. We never stop to acknowledge what we're doing right or how we need to take care of ourselves in order to plow through that to-do list. And then I just say, (laughs) what do I want today to look like? What are the priorities for the day? Today may be, um, you know, I've got to do boring stuff like I've got to right now on my to-do list, if I was to open it up for you, I've got to schedule Carter's dentist appointment. I've got to change my membership at the YMCA and I've got to um, get caught up on email. Yeah, that's exciting. It's very specific to today, but it just helps you for the season, for the week and for each day, constantly be asking yourself what's right right now. When you get in the habit of asking yourself that, then you'll always be doing the right things at the right time. You're giving yourself permission to change your mind, your plans, and your priorities as your season changes, your week changes, or even your day changes. Yeah, I love that. Even the day you wake up and you you have this 5K you're going to do that night and you're like, no, not today. I just don't feel it. I, I just right. can't. And you, right. just, you just don't do it. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I think that I think that there's something, there's a message there of like, oh, you've got to like, be committed to your goals, be accountable, all that follow through. It's like, we have gone to such an extreme on that. We've become so legalistic that we hold our feet to the fire for expectations we set six months ago, six years ago, back in January, when those things are not right anymore. If they're still right, yeah, we can have the discipline and accountability to follow through. If they're right, I still have to do things that I want to do. But if they're not right anymore, then you have permission to throw them out, change them, reset. I think sometimes things happen in our life. For example, you get a health diagnosis. You're, one of your kids needs you. Um, things change and we still hold our feet to the fire for what we expected of ourselves before that thing changed. When things change, things need to change. So let's say now you, you have a major project come up at work. Okay, with that in mind, what's right right now? You have a parent that you've got to take care of because they've got a health diagnosis. Okay, with that in mind, now what's right right now? If I'm going to increase my time here, going to my mom's house to make sure she has dinner and she's tucked in bed and she's okay, well, then I'm going to get takeout for my kids. And I'm going to dial the pressure back. I'm not going to expect I'm going to take care of my mom and add this to my plate and still have home-cooked, organic, vegan, gluten-free dinners. We've got to be realistic about what makes the cut and what doesn't. Everything can't make the cut all the time. We can't shove everything above the line. When we do, when we refuse to acknowledge that our time is finite and our energy, by the way, we don't get a say in what drops. I want to help you intentionally choose what makes the cut and what you're going to set down for this season. Not forever, but you're going to set this down and dial the pressure back so you can focus on what's right and find freedom and peace there. Yeah. And one of my favorite chapters in your book, and I took a lot of notes on it, was protecting your time. The different tactics of how to say no or um, actually how to like it's almost like a filter or lens that you put opportunities through before you just say yes because someone's asking you to and that was so helpful because probably like you i'd like to just say yes like if i think i can do it like i i can i have time i'll figure it out i'll 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 do it like i'll I'll find a way and it was just really empowering to have these tools and especially one that i really liked was okay i think your example was like a speaking gig in the middle of kansas or iowa or something and you're like am i gonna want to do that still the sunday night before when i'm gonna have to leave my kids and then to go do it and like wouldn't you ask that question it's like well no like no way am i gonna want to do that right yeah Yeah. a fun fun behind the scenes of that example so the example in the book is nowhere kansas and my editor changed it to like finding a small town i go oh no 
there's actually a town called Nowhere, Kansas. She's like, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, it might be the like, most populated town in Kansas. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, it just it it gives you better questions to ask before you make a decision so that you can have better results. And I think one of the keys of that chapter, so for anybody listening right now, just for context, I define life balance in the book, but then I give you five tactical steps to achieve it. Figure out what matters. Stop doing what doesn't matter. Create a calendar that reflects what matters protect what matters, which we're talking about here and be present for what matters. When you do that, you will be creating your version of balance, which is the only version of balance that should matter to you anyway. But what's key to what you're saying in step four about protect what matters is these boundaries we're talking about and practicing saying no in these things. It's not just to protect our time from the outside world. That's part of it from pushy people and people that have good guilt trips and, oh, we really need you and no one can do it like you can. And, oh, please, 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 please. It is to protect your time from those people if it's not right for you, but it's also to protect you from yourself. Because if I want to be a mom that's looking my kids in the eye in the evenings, I want my kids to see that I am present. I'm engaged. I'm making eye contact. I've got to protect myself from my terrible temptation to pick up my phone all the time. So I set boundaries around my phone. I literally put my phone in a box when I come home from work so that I'm not tempted to pick it up. That's to protect me from myself. That's to protect me from my inclination to say yes to every single thing. Another thing I've put in place, and it's funny how this message has evolved since the book was in print. So I'm like, oh, if I could go back, I would add all these things that didn't. Well, we'll add it to your uh, Courageous Confidence book that's coming out this time next year. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So one of the things that I, a practice that I do, and I learned this from my husband who is slow as Christmas in making decisions. It's, it's, it makes me insane. And he also has, I've learned so much from him in that. He will say, let me think about that. I never do that. I never think about decisions, James. I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. I want to do everything. So now when someone asks me something, if I'm not sure, I'll say, or even if I do think I am sure, I'm like, Hey, that's a great idea. Let me think about it. And then I, I don't know, think. And it helps me think through some of those things you're talking about. Sometimes I'll actually run opportunities by my husband that have nothing to do with him just because he's a great sounding board and he helps me think through if something is a good decision. And so um, these are all things you can put in place from to protect you from yourself. If I'm not careful, I will say yes to everything because I genuinely want to. And it sounds exciting and it sounds good, but I have to put some things in place to protect me from myself, from my temptation to pick up my phone, from my temptation to say yes to everything things that I end up resenting and regretting later because they're not right. I want to do the right things at the right time. And the thing I have to remember myself and I want everyone to remember is a good opportunity at the wrong time is the wrong opportunity. And just because something good doesn't mean it's right for you or doesn't mean it's just right right now. And so I just want to help people do the right things at the right time. That's what leads to balance. Good things don't lead to balance the right things leads to you feeling balanced. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's a great place to end. And I'll give you a second here to tell us more about you and where we can learn more about you and buy your book. And I know that you have the uh, business boutique open right now, but when this airs next week, that will be closed. So uh, we'll have to, you have to sign up in the spring for the next one if you're listening to this and you're interested. But I am curious what your son is going to be for Halloween this year. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. So he's on a kick right now with pigs. Really? Okay. Pigs. Pigs. This is the child yeah. that loved Waffle House last year. He had a squirrel birthday party. The squirrel birthday the- party sounded awesome, by the way. I love that it was, idea. It was so weird and I loved it. So he's into pigs. So he wants to be a pig. So then I have now 
recruited the other two children to be pigs. So they will be the three little pigs and we will be decorating little wagons with bricks, sticks, and straw to go around the neighborhood. And my well, husband's going to be the big bad wolf. We I'm need, shocked he's up for this. We need a picture of that. Definitely. 100%. We'll add that to the show notes for this episode, which will be over at quandel.com slash Christy. And that's quandel.com slash Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y. And we'll put a link to your book and to um, the other projects that you're working on. But where can we learn more about you and, and what are you working on right now that we should know about? Well, thank you so much. ChristyWright.com and ChristyWright.com slash balance is where you can get the book. You can also get the book anywhere books are sold. Take back your time, the guilt-free guide to life balance. And then um, next week, actually, when this airs is our business boutique conference. So even though my coaching group is closed, you can join us at the conference um, through live stream and you can learn more about that or get your tickets if you have a side business or small business at businessboutique.com. But christywright.com or businessboutique.com is where all the stuff is. But thank you for having me. This has been so fun. We've talked about so many things I've not talked about on any other interview and uh, you made it so fun. So thanks yeah, for having me. Thank you so much. And next time, if we had more time, I had a whole list of other funny things to know <laughs> about. So we'll get there next time. <laughs> we will. We will. We'll definitely have to do this again. Thank you.